KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. From KYW News Radio 1039 FM, this is Flashpoint. Shining light on the issues that matter to you in Philadelphia. Presented by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Hey now, what's happening everybody? I'm Jay Scott Smith and on this episode of Flashpoint, we look at the often overlooked issue of teenage homelessness here in the city of Philadelphia. We take a look at an organization that has been helping LGBTQ youth who have been homeless for more than 20 years. 25% of the youth homeless population is LGBTQ. Then we look at why it is that the number of homeless teens in this city is so often undercounted. The Philadelphia district identified four students experiencing homelessness out of every 100 children in poverty. And we highlight a change maker that's making a difference here in the city of Philadelphia. I'm not a nurse, but I'm doing things that nurses do. I'm actually saving lives. That's all coming up on Flashpoint on KYW News Radio. I'm Jay Scott Smith, and the focus of this week's episode is on the problem of teenage homelessness here in the city of Philadelphia. And we start this week by looking at the struggle of LGBTQ youth. And joining us for this week's Newsmaker is KYW News Radio's Shara Day Howard. And Shara, this is a subject matter that hits pretty close to home for you. Indeed it does. Uh, Within the LGBTQ communities, youth of color are at the highest risk of suicide and homelessness. And unfortunately, I was one of those kids. So I came out at the age of 14, and shortly after, my parents found out. It was freshman year, and I found myself out on the street. My parents weren't in agreement with any of it, and I wasn't about to compromise who I was. And fortunately, I found the Attic Youth Center. I was uh, looking through the daily news at the time, and there was a little blurb. If you're gay, lesbian, transgendered, and you're 14 years old, come and see us. So I did just that, yeah. It was right on time from what it sounds like here. Right on time. It was almost fortuitous. Just very quickly for you, what was that like for you at 14 years old having to basically fend for yourself? It was really difficult. I mean, I had to find not only a new home, but I had to find a new family, a new community. And within the Attic Youth Center, they really provided that. And at the time, it was at the top of the Voyage House, and it was run by Carrie Jacobs. And I walked through the doors, and there was four other kids. I was one of the original Attic Youth in the 90s. And there was just a small group of us. But somehow within that span of time, we found each other as not only a second home, but kind of a path to what we, I guess, not apologizing for who we were, but a clear path into who we could be. And now you're talking with Shawnee Givens, who's the interim director of the Attic Youth Center. Here's our newsmaker for this week's episode of Flashpoint, Shara Day Howard speaking with Shawnee Givens. Thank you for joining us. It's great to be here, Shara. Now, when talking about homeless teens, we can't ignore the alarming statistics surrounding LGBTQ plus youth. And within that population, even more troubling, you find the numbers reflecting black and brown teens. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly grave. So at any given time, 25% of the youth homeless population is LGBTQ. And so that means that LGBTQ youth are gravely overrepresented among homeless youth. When our youth are without stable housing, it impacts their ability to thrive in other areas. How can you do well in school? How can you do well 
your job? How can you prepare for the future when you don't know where you're going to sleep tonight? So when you have that interruption in your life and it's now rippling throughout the rest of your life, there are a lot of effects, emotional, psychological. So mental health is also a huge issue. Forget about the fact that our political climate is one that does not support our youth and its policies. The fact that youth are developing their sense of self and when they're told that who they are is fundamentally not okay, that has a stark impact on the development of their self-worth and their sense of empowerment in the world. Yes, and when I went to the attic, there was a drop-in center, which was wonderful because, of course, as a homeless teen, you don't really know what your schedule is going to be. You just need it when you need it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think when you remove those barriers of needing to make an appointment beforehand, needing to have insurance, it opens up the ability for a young person to say, I need support right now and to access it. And at the time, the Attic Youth Center and the William Way were pretty much all we had. These were the only resources available to homeless teens. And things since have gotten better, but, you know, it's not much better. That's right. And uh, a lot of young people say to us that this is the only place that I have to come for a hot meal. It's the only place where there's an adult who supports me, who can give me that mentorship that I need. And it's really important. Can you tell us what you provide these kids now? So there's a number of things that we do. We do a hot meal daily. We give away personal hygiene supplies, toiletries, things like that. We also do counseling, and that's individual counseling, family therapy. We do group therapy and support groups. We try and do life skills training. And what that really means is everything from civic engagement, health and wellness, job readiness and and workforce development, all these things to sort of enable young people to have the tools to thrive when they're adults. And when it first started back in 94, there was a very large emphasis put on group conversations and being with our peers and being able to really kind of emotionally release and vent, but also to have that support system. How important is it to have that peer support? I think peer support is an invaluable part of what we do. To have a community that surrounds you, that can mirror back to you who you are, shows you that you're okay, shows you that you're part of something greater. Uh, And then you can look to your peers for advice and wisdom and just connection. You know, when you're a homeless teen, you don't know where your next meal is going to come from. You don't know how your money situation is going to be the next day. You don't know where you're going to lay your head. It's all up in the air. But the one thing we could count on was one another. When you're in those circumstances, you know, you sort of choose your family. So the kids I met at the attic, they were my chosen family. Mm -hmm. I'm really glad you brought up the fact that chosen family is such an important piece of our community. Many of our young people don't have family support. They don't have a peer group at school that they can rely on and connect with. So to find a group of young people that you can say, I trust these folks, I can lean on these folks, and I can go to them when I need something, it gives you that sense of safety because you have a community. And when it comes to safety now, you mentioned the political climate. These kids know what's going on. And not only do they know what's going on, they're active. And that's what I like that this community center has always encouraged kids to be active, to know what's going on around them and participate. Civic engagement is a key part of what we do here because we want young people to have their voices a part of the fight. Who knows better what they need, what they're going through than they do? So when we get out of the way, empower them to use their voices to be a part of the conversation, the movement is only greater amplified. And when we talk about kids and their political engagement, there's also a really large emphasis put on creative engagement. I noticed that a lot of kids here go to Kappa. A lot of the kids, they're academically oriented, but they're also creatively oriented. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about creating a bridge between those two here? So I feel like art is such a tool for expression, a tool for self-development. And 
particularly this year, we're really recognizing how important art is to young people to be able to create something that says all the things that they're holding inside to help them explore things that, that maybe they're working through. So we are developing partnerships with Asian Arts Initiative, for example, to be able to support them in that work. So I noticed that these these programs are building confidence and there's a lot of the world that beats you down and when you come to the attic you kind of get lifted up. That's exactly right. That's the entire point. To build confidence, to build skills, to build community. And something that I always found unique about the center is that it really attended to the whole person. Yeah, the attic really aims to be a holistic community center because if you're just attending to a hot meal, well that's wonderful but what about all the other areas where they may need support? If you're just building community what about their basic needs? So the attic is really trying to address the whole person and look at all of their needs because that's how you can really help someone to thrive when all of their needs are met. Emotional, psychological, academic, etc. And I noticed the kids are always dancing. They're always doing <laughs> something fun. The youth really get an opportunity just to enjoy each other's company and be themselves. We have events a couple times a year where they can vogue, they can do open mic and read their poetry. As you said, creativity is such an important part of what happens here. I think a lot of times people think art is just art, but art is a medium for so many things. And especially when it comes to the LGBTQ community, it's kind of how we thrive. And then you add in civic engagement and it's just off the charts with regard to how much involvement these kids have, especially with the realm of civil rights. And there's a lot of emphasis put on intersectionality because you say homelessness within the black and brown communities within, again, the LGBTQ communities is even more grave. And 80% of our young people are black and brown. And so in addition to experiencing homophobia, they may also be experiencing racism. And then if you add gender to that, they may also be experiencing transphobia, sexism. And so all of that, the intersections of all of that compound and impact their experience in ways that are so nuanced. It's been over 25 years now that the attic has been attending to these very unique needs of this community. And then of course COVID at an entirely new level of complication. So how did the center pivot during the pandemic? So like many organizations, COVID really threw us for a loop, but it also showed us how we can show up in ways we didn't think possible before. So we transitioned the majority of our programs to virtual platforms. We recognize that Instagram is such a useful tool for our young people. That's where they are and we had to meet them where they were at. So we created support groups, group therapy, we created created skill building groups all online. Some of them where you could just drop in so that young people could say, well, it's three o'clock, I need something to do. And they could drop in online. And then in July, when things were a little safer, we opened up partially to be able to have supply drop off, hot meals, the personal hygiene supplies, food pantry pickup. As things got further along in the vaccination process, we've had a hybrid process and we do plan to continue that. In particular, when you are uh, someone that's homeless and you're a kid, it drop in is really important. You don't know what your schedule is going to be. You don't have a schedule. You don't have a home. So you need it when you need it. Exactly. And that's something that we were able to do easily in person. Online took us a moment to figure it out, but we got there. Now wrapping this up, what's a message you'd like to leave with our audience today? I want to leave our young people with the knowledge that the attic is here for you, that we are reopened, and that we welcome you. If you've never been to the attic, it's a place that the walls are literally vibrating with the energy of the young people. We hope that you'll come and see us soon. Whatever you need, we're here to provide that for you. Thank you for being here, Shawnice. Thank you so much. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Register today at DonorsOne.org. When people talk about the issue of teenage homelessness, particularly here in the city of Philadelphia, it often comes as a surprise to people when they see the official numbers that come out. 
The thing is, those numbers are often undercounted. Both the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and the city of Philadelphia often are undercounting these numbers, and it doesn't give people a clear picture to just how many teens don't have a steady place to lay their head at night. We're joined this week by Anna Shaw-Amoa, a policy associate with Research for Action, and we're also joined by Portia Burton, a community navigator for Youth Service Incorporated. Thank you for coming on with us this week. Anna, you co-wrote a report on the homeless teen count here in the city of Philadelphia, and it found in part that 56% of kids in the city of Philadelphia live in poverty, which is just a staggering number. But it also found that just 4.4% are homeless. That doesn't seem to add up. And why is it that you feel or that you've seen that there seems to be an undercount, not just in Philadelphia, but across the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania? Give a little background into that. So the first thing to know is it's important to know who we're actually talking about when it comes to youth experience homelessness. Um, This is not just who the typical person might think of as being homeless, those living in a shelter or maybe having stayed in a car or another place that's not meant for habitation. In addition, it's a lot of teens and youth who are living in doubled up settings, which means basically temporarily living with another family or person because of an economic hardship or a loss of housing. And for youth, this is commonly called couch surfing as well. And it can be a really unstable setting associated with a lot of abuse and unsafe situations. And these are the youth who it's particularly difficult to identify. Some are homeless with their families, but in Philadelphia, over half were also reporting housing instability unaccompanied by their family, so on their own. And as you mentioned, we did find in our report that the Philadelphia district identified just four students experiencing homelessness out of every 100 children in poverty. So that was the identification rate in the city uh, public schools. So by contrast, the state of Pennsylvania had a rate of 10%. Looking around the country at other large school districts, uh, Philadelphia actually had the lowest identification rate of the 20 largest districts in the nation. So it's a real problem here. And we also looked at different types of schools within the city. So in charter schools, the problem is even worse, where we found that the public school district had over three times the rate of students experiencing homelessness compared to charter schools within the city. So we're looking at under-identification as well as just under-enrollment of youth who uh, have experienced housing instability in the city. Now, to understand this, And to understand that that number being a lot higher than it actually is, Portia, you're joining us this week, not just because of your community work, but you were one of those students where you to give a little background here. You graduated from Ben Salem High School 2006 and the whole time you were homeless. And you said before people didn't know or didn't realize this. It's funny because it was something that I just thought that was normal. It was just something that happened, which is not okay. But it's just something that I thought, okay, you know, I'm not the only person going through this, even though I might not have been able to talk to um, my teachers about it or my counselor about it in fear of being taken out of school or in fear of, um, I don't know, getting um, my parents in trouble because I'm not living with them or something like that. You know, you just normalize these kind of situations. Going to school was extremely hard. 
trying to stay focused in school with your studies and worrying about where you're going to lay your head at at night is not two things that a child should have to worry about. But however, when you're in these circumstances, education is all you have. So I will always tell an individual that's young and experiencing homelessness, educate yourself in any way, shape or form, because it does get better with proper support. It does get better. You know, I've had um, run-ins with abuse. I've had run-ins with police. So it was a very scary experience. However, I did have the support of friends and I did have the support of other family members outside of my parents. What was it like on like a given day? A lot of times um, my friends' uh, parents would go to work in the morning. So getting up and, you know, being able to go to a friend's house and shower or prepare myself for the day along with them was one of the ways that I did it. I definitely, you know, had to make sure that I had tokens because at that time it wasn't like how it is now. Like I had to make sure that I had car fare and tokens to get to school every day because of, you know, I never knew where I was going to end up. So that could be me either spending the night um, in Ben Salem over a friend's house or traveling all the way back to Philadelphia to find shelter. I just normalized it. I, I never really thought that anything was wrong with what I was doing because I didn't see no other kind of way of fixing the situation outside of education. Now, Anna, you hear a story like Porsche's there, and there are nearly 32,000 homeless teens, Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. This is as of 2019. CDC says that more than a half million are across the United States, and there's so many stories like hers. These undercounts that have occurred here, how much of an effect does that have in terms of funding or different things or just the awareness of it? Because also, you have to understand, a lot of these students who are they're, they're like Porsche. A lot of people are Black, Hispanic, they're Native, they're, they're a lot of the LGBTQ. What does that have overall when you look at this? When students and youth are identified and counted by their schools, that opens the door to a whole host of educational rights under law, under the McKinney-Vento Homeless Education Assistance Act. So under this act, there are all sorts of legal requirements and provisions for these students in order to help kind of alleviate some of the barriers that these extreme situations that Portia is describing um, were presenting. For example, transportation. Under law, students who have been identified as experiencing housing instability should receive transportation to their school, including Uh, public transportation tokens or vouchers, whatever is provided to, you know, allow that student to get to school in a timely manner. There's also a lot of other rights, including immediate enrollment. For example, a student who does not have a, a permanent place to live should be immediately enrolled in school, whether or not they have required documentation that would normally be required for enrollment. So that's another protection under law if that student is identified. And Portia, I know right now you also are doing work helping kids who are homeless. So currently I work with Youth Services, Inc., um, a very, very wonderful uh, facility where we help individuals that are between the ages of 18 to 24 um, in my particular program uh, get housed. A lot of times individuals age out at age 18. And so we help them find immediate shelters, temporary housing, transitional housing. We also help with financial literacy and um, professional development. We get individuals that are experiencing 
all different types of crises. Um, LGBTQ folks are among some of the most marginalized, and we help them find facilities of shelter that are catering to their needs in areas of, of safe spaces. Also, uh, we have a shelter for individuals between the age of 12 and 18. If you're experiencing homelessness or, um, you know, disparities, you can always uh, be referred to us and we will definitely provide resources and shelter for you. Now, the school district has said previously, quote, we are committed to continuing to identify and support this population of students. And they added that the district is going to focus on raising family awareness of rights and services afforded by federal law. And the spokesman for the city also said he supports the school district's efforts and pointed out the Philadelphia's continuum of care board includes a young adult leadership committee made up of people who've experienced homelessness and participate in policymaking and whatnot. I know uh, housing and urban development also, they have a count that goes into this as well. Overall, what else, what else is needed? What else is necessary? It's clearly the number, the numbers don't add up. There's a, there's an imbalance there. What else is needed to help make this more accurate? And really once we, once we kind of get a little bit more accuracy, what's next? We currently have opportunity at the state because there has been an influx of funding from the recent stimulus package to the McKinney-Vento Homeless Education Assistance Program. That was $800 million nationally, and that was eight times the annual appropriation for the program. So this is a huge increase. The state is still waiting for the guidance to come down from the federal government on how to spend the funding, but it did recently begin on July 1st. So we know that there is about $6 million currently going out to the eight regional offices across the state where Philadelphia is one of those offices, as well as $24 million to school districts, which it's not yet known how that's going to be distributed. So all of this money, it provides a huge opportunity in the current moment to pay for additional people to support the identification and support needs Social workers are already incredibly burdened and uh, have to serve all the other students in the school building. And in Philadelphia, uh, we already have a shortage. You know, nationally, the recommended ratio is one to 250 students. But in Philadelphia, we have one counselor to every 560 students. And Portia, you working with kids who are in this situation right now, what are some of the things you're seeing from them? What are some of the things you're hearing? Um, a lot of them are kind of complaining about the, the services that they're uh, receiving. Staff not being able or having the uh, cultural competency when uh, speaking and talking to them. You know, language and jargon is everything when you're trying to communicate with the individual. And uh, a lack of trust. Um, a lot of, you know, individuals that are vulnerable and in these particular situations, um, it takes them a little bit longer to trust you know, the individuals that they seek for help. Um, so I think that um, those are just some of the things that I'm hearing. We start to wrap this up. If someone's listening to this and either they themselves could be homeless or they know somebody or know of someone who is, what's a message you would have for them? Would definitely be to hold the school accountable if possible to the uh protections that they are meant to be providing to you. So 
definitely going to your school and identifying yourself if that's something that you feel safe doing. There are also organizations in Philadelphia that can help when it comes to not only um, the provision of services that Porsche provides, but also uh, educational legal protections. The Education Law Center is a great resource for anybody who is uh, unable to access the educational uh, resources that they're legally entitled to. And Portia? I would definitely tell them that you're not alone. There's a lot of resources to assist you and that are eager to. Do not feel like that you have to do this all on your own. Get a counselor, make sure that you're in therapy. A lot of these things bring on trauma and we wanna make sure that we're doing the best to take care of ourselves and be motivated and positive in the best way possible because it's, it's things in place that are here to assist you and to help you. I want to thank Portia Burton and Anna Shaw Amoa. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Flashpoint. Thank you. Thank you. If you're considering home care for yourself or a loved one, Patriot Home Care makes it easy with a caring and compassionate staff. Don't be overwhelmed by all the choices. Let Patriot Home Care help. Patriot Home Care is growing with offices throughout Philadelphia and now in Delaware. Patriot is accepting caregivers and new clients virtually as well. At Patriot, you will love what you do and feel rewarded by taking care of people who need your help. Patriot also offers some of the area's best pay, benefits, and a $600 sign-on bonus to new caregivers. Visit PatriotHomeCare.org. The Philly Rising Changemaker of the Week is presented by Patriot Home Care. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Jay Scott Smith. And you know here at Flashpoint, we're all about the community. And this week's Philly Rising Changemaker is no different. We're joined now by KYW News Radio's Antoinette Lee. If you've never been to Kensington Avenue, more than likely you've still heard of it. And you know that this is an area where people are struggling. They're struggling with homelessness, addiction, food insecurity, mental health, among a myriad of issues. During my visit there, the sidewalks were lined with people. Some were intense, some were slumped over, others were using in plain view. It's really challenging to see. But when I approached the intersection near Kensington Avenue and Allegheny Avenue, there was a bright spot in all of this. That was where I found this open lot. It's operated by this woman named Patrice Rogers. What are you digging up the weeds? Yeah. Every day as early as 7 a.m., you can find Patrice Rogers on Kensington Avenue, cleaning up needles, giving away sandwiches, or in general, just helping people through empathy and kindness. For me, this is more personal. It's not about a grant. It's not about money. It's about really making change about really getting things done here because I think these people deserve a chance. Rogers says her husband suffered from addiction. After he passed away last year, she cleaned up a vacant lot near Kensington and Allegheny Avenues. She turned it into one of the few clean and green spaces on the block. I'm not just offering food or just uh, clothing. I'm offering support. I see it. I'm here every day. I'm not a nurse. You know, but I'm doing things that nurses do. I'm actually saving lives. Rogers also pays people in the neighborhood who come in and help clean up and maintain the space. Because they're hard workers. And I believe that if you give a man a broom or if you give someone opportunity, there's more chances. Because that's all they want to do is work. They're not stealing. They're not hurting no one. They're not doing anything illegal for it. She believes the work that she's doing is harm reduction. And she hopes to be able to sustain the lot through more support. And more more understanding that everyone matters. No matter regardless 
the race or no matter what your addiction is or no matter what your background is. If we're a community and we're fighting the same fight, I think we all should fight the same thing together. Now, normally at this time, I would plug the website and social media handles where you can find the organization, but Patrice doesn't have any of that at this time. The space she runs, it's less than a year old, so it's not an official nonprofit. She's just a woman trying to do something to positively impact her community. And there you have it. Another episode of Flashpoint. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. So for Sherrod A. Howard, Antoinette Lee, and our super producer, Ariane Fulcher, I'm Jay Scott Smith telling you to take care of yourself. God bless. Always dare to be different. And remember that hope, it's still not a strategy. We'll holla at you next week. Flashpoint is a production of KYW News Radio 1039 FM. For more, go to KYWnewsradio.com slash Flashpoint and subscribe to the Flashpoint Podcast wherever you get your shows. Presented by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives.